Angus Young. How you doing? Good, Becca. The offspring. How's it going, Becca? Dave Grohl. How you going, mate? Good, man. Pete, it's been a long time coming. Oh, Becca, hasn't it indeed? We go inside the dressing room, speak to the biggest names in music. Keith Richards, the Rolling Stones. And crack open their esky. This is exactly how I imagined you, by the way, sitting opposite me with a vodka and orange. You're a discerning chap. This is The Rider. Hey, it's Becca. Welcome back to The Rider. Uh, still in the high after attending the second last Midnight Oil concert on their farewell tour. In fact, the last show as part of the Resist tour, and that leaves one final gig in Sydney this week. It'll be many Powderworker fans, many Midnight Oil fans who'll be feeling pretty sad this week because it's a big deal. This is a band we all grew up with. They've put out plenty of incredible albums, amazing moments. They've had a break and come back when it mattered. And this is a great way to go out. And uh, they've got a great message with this tour as well. We caught up with Rob Hurst just a few months ago on The Rider. Yeah, so um, it's a joy to get these songs finally out. I've got to tell you, it's more than two years since we went into a studio in Sydney with our longtime producer, Warren Livesey. We could have thrown the guitars on the floor and kicked the amps over and walked back out again and done other things. But as it turned out, Great Circle had been so phenomenal for us and we felt incredibly blessed by the response. We thought, well, at least we owe it to ourselves and to the audience to see what we can do. Pete Garrett there and uh, Rob Hurst. You can catch up on those chats on The Rider with Becco and even a special Spotify exclusive with the music included if you go to Spotify. And in fact, I'll replay the Rob Hurst interview at the end of this podcast. Now, this week on The Rider, you know this band. So Shepard, back five years ago, had one of the biggest hits around the world with Geronimo. Amy Shepard has decided to actually branch out and try something on her own. She has put out a new album called Nothing But Wild. It is out now with her brand new song, Blue Guitar. Now, Amy, as we speak, is in a Tarago van doing publicity in Brisbane for the brand new EP. We've got to hear right now. In fact, Amy, um, you've got to be so proud and excited for this EP to be out. Congratulations. And I guess it's been a long time coming. Thank you so much, Becco. You know, we all know the mammoth that was Geronimo and everything that happened since yeah. then for Shepard. But uh, yep. like, when did you decide to go through this change and go solo? Look, this has been in the back of my head for a really long time. I grew up listening to a lot of country music. Um, you know, I was, I've been really inspired by um, the Dixie Chicks and Shania Twain, Faith Hill, artists of the 90s, and that's really when I was learning how to songwrite. So I've always wanted to do this, but obviously Shepard just took its natural course and um, took me in the pop direction. Um, but so often when I would write a line or start to sing something, the boys would pull me up and be like, hey, that probably sounds a bit too country for what we're doing here. So I kind of got sick of that and um, ran out of reasons as to why I shouldn't just try and write my own country songs. And um, I went and saw CMC Rocks Festival in 2019 and I saw what all the artists were doing there and I just thought, I'm just, I need to be a part of this world. I need to um, get my uh, butt into gear and start writing. Well, one thing I noticed when I went to a gig, I think it was uh, Luke Combs uh, four years ago now, maybe three years ago, we, we were there in the audience in Sydney and I was looking around the room and I realised that all these country fans weren't typical country fans. They were what we normally would think as rock fans and I thought that was yeah, so interesting. 
I mean, obviously that would be yeah, different if you're in Tamworth or whatever, but but certainly in Sydney, it, it, it wasn't the cliche that uh, we all expected. Yeah, look, I think country music is for everyone. It's just such a um, a lot of the songs are so relatable with the storytelling, and um, it's it's music that really everyone can get amongst. I think. So, what was the conversation like with your, your siblings um, when you decided this was what you were going to do? Uh, well, obviously, um, I had to stipulate that I wasn't leaving the band. Shepard uh, is my first baby, and this is my second baby. Uh, and they were really supportive. You know, Emma's been uh, my stylist throughout all of this, and you know, I've done a little bit of songwriting with George as well. So they're very st- much, um, still very much a part of the project. What's the thing? I mean, you, you do have a style, and, and when you're, you know, with all the Shepard uh, promo stuff you did. Uh, you know the the hair was your was your trademark, I reckon, and um, I reckon you're going to blow away a lot of country fans when they see that in the country field. You know, because um, you're going to stand out in the crowd. Put it that way. Yeah, I hope I hope they receive it well. So far, so good. But um, you know, I'm not here to step on any toes. I just want to um, be myself and uh, write what I love, and hopefully, some people can relate. Did you have to get sort of an advice from uh, from different people on this? Um, so I met yeah. the Buckleys, you know, a, a few years ago now, and, and Chris Murphy mm-hmm. played me the, the demos before we we lost him, and, and he was so proud of them, and he yeah. believed that that you know crossover country, I guess, is, is how you describe it, um, was going to be the next big thing. They got a lot of advice from him. Who was your mentor throughout all this? Well, look, our manager is uh, Michael Chug, who's huge in the country world. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I've been really fortunate to have him on my side, and. Also, just throughout the years with Shepherd, we've played a lot of country music festivals, including Winton Way Out West Fest and um, the Denny Ute Master, to name a few. And I've been really fortunate to meet a lot of country artists. So um, just having them to sort of send my songs to and bounce off, you know, I've sent songs to the Wolf Brothers and Casey Chambers and got their advice. And um, yeah, I feel very fortunate to have had made those connections thanks to Shepherd. Yeah, and I saw the Wolf Brothers and, and Casey Chambers at Monday Monday just a, you know, a couple of weeks ago and um, they were received so well. So what's the best advice he gave you? Um, look, he's just – the best advice is more just to throw me in the deep end, really. <laughs> like it hasn't been so much um, words of advice but just um, giving me an opportunity and giving me um, – yeah, just pushing me to <laughs> go for it and do it. So I'm really grateful for um, – yeah, as I said earlier, to have him on my side and to have someone mentor me through what a lot of the things I didn't think I was ready for, I was because um, he believes in me. And you guys are one of the you know the iconic Brizzy bands lately, and, and, and Brizzy's had a great music scene for for decades now. Particularly, it was so strong in the '90s when he had you know bands like Regurgitator come out of there, and then the you know the Veronicas and. You got yeah. to play the Ecker a few weeks ago. How was that? Yeah, it's really funny because my first gig ever. Uh, as a teenager, I was at the Echo as part of um, like Rock the Bands or some competition like that and um, Battle of the Bands. And, yeah, it just was really funny for it, the whole journey to come full circle. And, um, yeah, that was that was my first gig as a country artist and it went really well. I had a – it was raining, which was a bit of a shame, but um, I still managed to pull a pretty good crowd and um, it was sort of a, a good – also a good dress rehearsal in a way, a good way to um, sort of – give me a little bit of confidence um, for what I'm doing and what I'm about to do, which is hopefully more shows. Did you feel a bit more pressure than usual for that one, being your first gig? Yeah, definitely. Um, I had 
a couple of rehearsals, but I just felt like I needed at least one or two more. <laughs> so I didn't feel completely ready, but um, just being out there uh, gave me the confidence to um, to know that, yeah, I can do this. And um, I just need to sort of do a few more gigs to get completely confident, um, but I'm well on my way. You've got a few more to come. You've got um, you know, Demon Racecourse, uh, the races, and you've got uh, Lefties in Brisbane and Ipswich and Mareeba. So yep. you've got a few coming out, which is great. And by then, you should be okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm ready. I've had another rehearsal since, and I mean, I'm ready as I'll ever be. It's just getting that live experience. It's totally different to when you're rehearsing at production rehearsals to nobody to um, actually interacting with a crowd. You feel a bit more exposed because it's it's you. You can't lean on the you know George and Emma, or, or is it a bit different for that? One hundred percent. I feel just totally exposed. There's no one to rely on. It's just me. So, <laughs> I mean, I do have a band who I'm working with, um, and they're they're just such great musicians. So I don't feel completely alone up there. But in terms of interacting with the audience, it's just me. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be interesting to learn how to do that on my own um, because normally it's yeah it's lots of banter with George, which I don't have. So Shepherd formed in two thousand and nine. I, I can't believe that when I was because when I was reminded by that, um, and then you know it actually went worldwide, which which is an incredible feat for an Aussie band. And I think um, we're all just sort of quite proud, you know, to see Geronimo go around the world. And were you exhausted at the end of that run? Because it, it it was a run that I think that went for over two years, really, for that tour. Yeah, yeah, that totally flipped our lives upside down, and. You know, we were for most of that time we were away from our family and friends, and you know, life in Brizzy just goes on without you. And it, we did find it very, very difficult, um, but obviously very grateful for the experience. And um, yeah, it it did come to an end. You know, well, it's still going in some aspects, but um, yeah, the, the hectic, grueling touring um, has eased off a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, reflecting back on it, it's just. It was just a whirlwind. We look back and think, "Whoa, like what just happened?" I can imagine Chuggy would have would have said at the time, "Just tour and tour and do as many gigs as you can and meet as many people as you can while you got that momentum." And um, um, so I'm guessing you did that. You pretty much met every radio person, uh, did every you know small little radio gig, and 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 toured the world. It yep. must have been just a buzz. Yeah, it really was just such a, we're so grateful for the opportunity and we just made the most of it and uh, yeah, did a couple of world tours and, um, you know, just, I wish, I hope we can do it again sometime because uh, I think now that you've, you've done it once, you kind of know what you're in for, but at the time, um, yeah, you're just unsure of how long it's going to go for and it's a bit uh, uncharted waters, but yeah, if we could have that opportunity again, I think we'd be far more prepared. Yeah, it's a bit easier second time around, I'm sure, because you're just a little bit more prepped and, um, you know, men- yeah, mentally prepared more than anything, I'm sure. During COVID, by the way, one of the most incredible gigs I saw was you guys on the, you know, Coolangatta Airport on the landing strip there. Like, that that was insane. It looked it looked just nuts. Um, and yeah. it's a time of our life we'll never see again, really, hopefully, is, is you know, um, airports <laughs> uh, dormant. And, yeah, wow, that was insane. I know that was crazy. That just came out of an interview. I think George had an interview with um, Hot Tomato, and they were like, "Oh, talking about COVID and how flights have stopped," and um, they were kind of joking about doing a, a, a show on the runway. And then, um, yeah, Hot Tomato was like, "Hey, that's a great idea. Let's make this happen." So that was just such a weird feeling being on the runway. And they they had hired um, 
or collaborated with a helicopter company and so helicopters overhead and yeah it was bizarre such a bizarre experience but again you know it's it's amazing where this job takes you you never know what's next and you do anything that comes up you know you just say yes to everything particularly during covid i mean that must have been a, a oh. bit of a weird time for you or did you actually get quite productive through then yeah we were we just made it very productive we released a song a month and tried to do a video clip a month and i think we achieved that goal um i think one of them was animated because we just couldn't um get everyone together but for the most part it was just like having very small sets and um trying to abide by all the laws and and uh, yeah it was a, a miracle that we got that done and um that was the kaleidoscope eyes album um which we haven't really been able to tour still but um yeah we're, we're on to album four now writing and then hopefully we'll be able to tour it after um, we finished that. Went to the studio with uh, with a band at the time, and it was everyone was so nervous. There was there was you know elbow bumps, and uh, we we're all using you know hand sanitizer multiple times. And um, um, I think we had to get rat tests before we went into the studio, which is totally fine because they're in a bubble pretty much. And um, yeah. yeah, everyone was uh, very very nervous. Now now this SCP nothing but wild was that kind of done before covid uh, or or did did you sort of have you done it off the back of this um what, what's the timing uh, it was just before covid so 2019 i started writing i went to nashville and wrote nothing but wild and a couple of other tracks and um just as i was thinking of releasing and getting all my assets together the pandemic hit and i just put a halt to it all because i just did not want to release um before i could actually get out there and do some shows and do it properly um so yeah, it all went on hold. But and then when I, when I came back to the songs, I realized that the hill needed to be re-recorded because I don't know. Just you, you listen to it long enough, and you're hearing all these other ideas and ways that you could improve the song. So I was going back and forth uh, with Nashville just via email and um, in trying to improve the song. So yeah, they turned out completely different to how they originally sounded, but. We got there in the end. It's been a long time coming, but I'm really proud that um, it's finally time to release an EP. That's a big commitment, really, when you fly over there to, to Nashville to do um, music. Because when, when you when you land there, it, it does feel like you're at the home of country. But it's more than country mm. now. It's not. It's not. It's a music city. It's it's a great world music yeah. city. You've got all these great session musicians there, and yep. I'm guessing the studio you used, you probably walked in and saw all the gold records and saw the history. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, there's such a strong music history in that t- in that city, and it's so inspiring when you're there as well. You know, and that's really what Nothing But Wild is about. It's about escaping your your hometown and just going out and um, having an adventure, and that's exactly what I did. Now I've got to ask you because the podcast is called The Rider, um, so I have to ask everyone what is in your rider. Um, we could probably start off huh. with <laughs> what was the case during Shepherd. Did it did it ever get quite extreme, or was it always fairly tame being being siblings? <laughs> Oh, uh, look, we've got, what do we have? We've got a bottle of champagne. We've got a bottle of red wine. We've got a fridge full of beers and coconut water. Um, we have a cheese platter. Um, we have a fruit platter and uh, favourites. We used to have Skittles and then we got so sick of Skittles that now <laughs> on our rights it says no Skittles under any circumstances. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's like some people get sick of um, hummus, you know, or, um, you know, because that, that's often the, the backstage staple. Well, sometimes we get hummus because just, we just put like, you know, just nibblies as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it is, it is great. You have to refresh your rider every now and then because you get sick to death at the same thing. 
And I'm sure you've had some shitty pubs where you've got a lettuce leaf pretty much. So is, there, is there one particularly where you went to a regional <laughs> Queensland pub and got a very below par spread? Oh, oh yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, we've been pretty lucky with our rider because I think ex- with experience, we've, um, you know, it's pretty manageable for everyone to do like a, a basic cheese platter. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's not that hard these days. Amy, I know you got a busy day. Thanks so much for your time. And uh, it's really good to catch up because, um, you know, we, we've obviously had you in um, to, you know, various radio stations I've worked at over the years. And uh, it's 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 kind of nice to see you progressing and doing your own thing and, and um, can't wait to see you obviously back doing the Shepherd thing as well when that happens. Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a juggle, but um, you know what? I'm up for the challenge. Good on you, Amy Shepherd. Best of luck. Nothing but wild is out. We will see you soon on tour. Great. Thanks for the chat, Becco. Amy Shepard on the rider. Wasn't she fantastic? And I can't wait to see that EP go right around the world. And I reckon it's going to be massive in the States as well because that whole genre is taking off right around the world as we speak. Next week on the rider, well, it's a big one. One of the most famous female guitarists around right now with a brand new album. We'll talk to her next week. Oh, that's right. And she's Australian. Follow the Rider Pod on Instagram, but I wanted to actually go back and replay one of the chats with uh, one of my favourite musicians, Rob Hurst from Midnight Oil. Midnight Oil wrapping up their final tour this week. It's very emotional for a lot of uh, Midnight Oil fans and powder workers as they get set for their final gig at the Horden Pavilion. Let's pick it up to where I talked to uh, Rob Hurst and ask him, how does he keep doing it over and over again? I've been driven along by our new bass player, they come. Adam Ventura. And he's been great. That was the first time I saw him was yeah. uh, at that show. So we've, we've already done four shows in Tasmania on the Resist Tour, uh, all outdoor shows. And uh, I think by the end of it, the show in Hobart on the Mona lawns there, the museum lawns were, that last one, it really felt like we were locking in again and um, can't wait to play the rest of the tour now. I'm having a particularly great time playing with Adam. Um as part of that rhythm section with Midnight Oil, it's really joyful. And uh, his playing reminds me a little bit of the way Peter Gifford, Giffo used to play as well. So it's, in a way, it's kind of back to the 80s and, and 90s period with, um, with, with our rhythm section. I'm, I'm having a great time. And that's the thing I love about how you support each other. Because I was watching that gig, how um, it was, he was still the, the well and truly the new guy at that point. And, uh, you know, the communication between you two and, and also the support from the crowd. I think everyone just, just really uh, wanted to see it all work. And it, and it did. It was, it was a great moment. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great when it locks in again. You feel, okay, we're back. And um, he's, um, poor guy, his head must be exploding. He's had to learn upwards of 75, 80 songs. You know, we've got a catalogue now of over 200 published songs. So it's a big ask. And they're not easy songs, as you know, Becca. You know, they uh, they change gear four or five times during, and, you know, when there should be twos and fours, there's, you know, lots of threes. And, and then, of course, Adam is also determined to sing lots of parts as well. Although, having said that, we do have uh, the magnificent voices of Liz Stringer and Leah Flanagan joining us for the entire tour. And uh, we'll have our brass players back as well for the rest of the tour as well, which we didn't have in Tassie. So it'll be the it'll be the, the full picture, the full band on stage. 
Leah was great at, at uh, Hunter Valley as well. And uh, I, I guess at this point, so it's your 13th and final you know, full-length album. Um, and this is your, your, your last tour as we know it. Um, any doubts at, the, at this stage? Are you thinking I, I, maybe you know, it's too soon or, or, or are, you, are you comfortable? No, I think, yeah, I think we're all comfortable with um, this being the last tour. Uh, we're a bit disappointed we can't get to WA at the moment and the Kiwi shows are a little bit up in the air as well. Might have to push them back a little bit later in the year. But we're determined to play to as many people as possible here and maybe overseas if we can get over there, you know, COVID willing. Um, we have um, fans in Europe and North America, Brazil, even South Africa, other places We'd love to get to. We're going to try to get to as many people as possible. But the the main game at the moment is to is to play to our Australian audience, some of whom, you know, saw the band dare I say it back in the late seventies, early eighties, a long time ago. Yeah, and um, this album, a lot of comparisons were made, um, certainly with the Macarada project and and this album too, where they're saying you know the. The Diesel and Dust era, uh, it was rather similar. You know, you went on that great tour, the Blackfella Whitefella tour, and you, you you went everywhere, and you came back, and then went into the studio for Diesel and Dust, and and this one, you came off the Great Circle tour, which was something like seventy seven shows, and you went around the world, and you even went to um, the I think it was was the Big Red Bash, and you, you did all that stuff, and then went in and recorded all these songs. Yeah, so um, it's a joy to get these songs finally out. I got to tell you, it's more than two years since we went into a studio in Sydney with our longtime producer, Warren Livesey, um, to do the 12 songs. Um, you know, last year we put out the Macarada Project. It was a mini album. And the reason we put that mini album out was that the songwriters in the band were all writing songs about um, First Nations issues, uh, songs of reconciliation and justice, and particularly focused on the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which is still languishing there. I mean, I've got to, I've got to tell you, mate, I mean, this government will talk until 5am about religious discrimination bills, but not a murmur about this amazing document, this foundation, this beautiful piece of poetry called The Voice, uh, the, the Uluru Statement from the Heart. That should be high on the agenda. But anyway, back to the point, um, on that same recording session, we managed to not only finish the Macarada songs and release them last year, but finally we've got the Resist album coming out and 12 new songs and we're going to actually have them on rotation on the Resist tour. In other words, we're going to take a different three or four every night so that people come and see us multiple times. We'll get to hear a bunch of new songs, plus also the older songs on rotation. That's great because a lot of people may not have got to that tour last year, uh, you know, for travel reasons or, or whatever. And it was really special and, and um, you know, it was emotional. And, and as you said, you talked about the statement and that was on the, you know, the big screen behind you. And, and um, you know, as you heard the songs, you could read that and take it in. And I, I, I think uh, it'd be great to hear a few of these songs. And of course, all the, the powder workers and the Midnight Oil fans, they, they, they go to often multiple shows, as you know. Many will probably go to every show. Yeah, some will. Yeah, we already know they're going to do that. So it's important for us to make it, mix up the sets. And um, as I said, you know, Adam, um, our, our bass player, has um, just been every, I think every evening after rehearsals, he goes back, has, has dinner, and then he, 
uh, he gets stuck into new songs because we keep on, poor guy, we keep on throwing new songs. How about, you know, some kids or how about back on the borderline or how about no reaction or how about I'm the cure, you know. And so he goes, oh, okay, and he's always incredibly amenable. Okay, sit, come in the next day and then we play it once. And because he's such a great mus- musician, uh, we can add the add these songs and mix it up. It's um, we, you know we're really looking forward to it. That's fantastic. He's obviously got a great work ethic, and uh, I I don't think um, you know anyone can walk into Midnight Oil and expect to to have an easy run. I mean uh, that's a lot of songs, and uh, you got to have it nailed. And I, I got to talk about your work ethic uh, because uh, you know you're you're a fit bloke, and uh, you know at the end of the show you give it everything. And uh, I don't know how you do it, but. I have to ask you though, because it is the rider this podcast. <laughs> I've got to ask you, what do you have in your esky behind the the drum kit there? What, what what do you what do you have say during before and after the show? Well, it's very boring. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> I try to drink gallons of water before I go on because I'm I, I sweat so much. Yeah, yeah. And um, I really feel it if I get hyp- not hypothermic, dry dehydrated. Up. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. If you get dehydrated. Uh, I feel start to feel giddy, and I might fall off the perch. <laughs> so, um, there's a few spots in the set where I might be able to sneak around the back and have another drink during the show, um, and maybe even change one black t-shirt for another black t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so um, I think I'm, you know the the shows are lasting average of two two hours to two and a half hours because we simply want to cover so much ground. And because it is our last tour, we're aware that there are favourite songs that people have come deliberately to hear and we want to get around to those as many as possible. So the song, the sets will be long and, yeah, we'll be knackered by the end of it. But on the basis of the gigs we've already done in Tassie and the rehearsals, I think the shows hopefully will be as strong and angry, I might add, as any oil shows that anyone's ever seen. Well, you timed it right. I mean, there's going to be obviously an election uh, around May at this stage, so you're, you're well and truly part of the run-in to, <laughs> to an election. So yeah, I think you've you got the dates locked in there pretty well. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, oh, God, don't, don't get me started on the election. I, yeah, mean, God, yeah. I mean, really, um, uh, look, um, as, you, as you know, um, Beko, because you've heard the album, um, a lot of the album is based around climate change and the, and the fact that this is the greatest existential challenge that we face. Yeah, yeah. But you wouldn't know it, you know, if you if you uh, looked at actually what the federal government uh, has been doing or not doing. I mean, after the embarrassment of the Glasgow summit, do you know only 10 days after that, uh, the largest liquid natural gas fossil fuel project off the Western Australian coast, the Scarborough project, was announced. And, you know, some people think that that's the equivalent of opening up to 15 new black coal mines. So is this our contribution, really? You know, is this, I mean, it's got to stop. The contributions to the fossil fuel industry from taxpayers has got to stop. And, you know, we're facing a barrier reef that probably over the summer suffered its third major bleaching event. So I don't know if you've ever been lucky enough to snorkel or dive around the reef, Becco, but yeah, I have. This, yeah. this isn't something that our kids or our grandchildren will have the opportunity to do, and it's, and it's been on our watch that we've allowed this to happen and on our watch that although the Darling River, the Barker, as it's better known now, um, is full of water at the moment because of the La Nina event, only a few years ago millions of dying fish on that, you know, because of mm. water extraction. I mean, no one has been able to tell us 
yet. Why, on the driest continent on Earth, during increasing drought and climate change, we allow the most water-intensive crops, rice and cotton and almonds, to extract that proportion of water from that river system yeah. uh, with the result that it becomes a dust bowl, you know, in, in majority of times. It's yeah, just- well, we know about the cotton fields, you know, down the Riverina and the, there's rice up in sort of northern Darling up around there and, and I know it's crazy. It, it is crazy and, and growing up in the country I've seen it, you know. So this, so this, all of these things, of course, bleed into the songwriters mm. and our songs and so, you know, that – that uh, also galvanises the live shows as well. As we play these, there'll be a certain amount of angst and venom that we'll bring to bear. You did Rock on the Reef um, five years ago now, I think it was, and that, that was an incredible gig. And, of course, famously, the Exxon building, uh, can we see come back and, and perform on the steps of, say, uh, oh, you know, Parliament House or whatever down the track for special moments? Yeah, obviously we can't give the, the game away. But yeah, we, <laughs> no. Otherwise... Um, <laughs> Otherwise, they'll lock uh, you out. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. They'll put an electric fence around wherever we are. But um, yeah, expect to, expect us to pop up somewhere. Yeah, down the track. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that um, that protest. You know, we went out there on that atoll off the far north Queensland coast, and uh, it's an atoll that only dries briefly. You know, during the low tide, and we went out there and put that banner up, and that got international interest. Um, around the world, I don't think people were aware um, that the reef was in such peril. And the government, I mean, Susan Lee, she went around the world uh, trying to convince folks recently not to put the Great Barrier Reef on the endangered list. I mean, endangered, it's nearly dead, for God's sake. You know, why would they bother to cover up something like that? Why why wouldn't they immediately address the situation and... And stop allowing um, Carmichael Basin and Scarborough and the Browse Basin and all the other massive fossil fuel projects. We've got to do our bit. You know, I mean, people say, oh, Australia only contributes a tiny percentage to the problem. But Newcastle is the biggest coal export port in the world. So we export the problem overseas. And, and all the way up the, the Queensland coast as well. That's right, into, into Glaston. That's yeah, right. into Glaston. Uh, look, changing tack now, because uh, there's something I've always wanted to ask you, uh, well, at least since the last interview, and it's a story someone told me oh, literally only about a year ago, but Paul Hester did a prank on you uh, at one of your gigs many, obviously many, many years ago. Uh, Paul Hester from Crowded House. He was in the barrel next to your drum kit. The tank. And in the tank, can you tell me about this? Because I've never heard this story from you. Oh, so I can't actually remember the gig, Becca, but um, it definitely did happen. Um, Crowdies happened to be in town, wherever it was, at the same time as the oils, some overseas port. And um, Paul, of course, knew that I used to um, use the water tank as part of the drum solo in Power and Passion. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and um, so... I think we must have been playing Power and Passion and halfway through the song I'm aware that there's someone else playing along. <laughs> I look around and it appears to be it appears to be someone inside my water tank. And then, and then and then as I'm looking around I see Paul's head come up <laughs> above the tank. That beautiful cheeky face of his and he's playing somehow the crew managed to get him up inside the tank without me noticing. And so he played the solo from inside the tank. Oh, that's amazing. And that's, that's, that's commitment, by the way, as well, because he's obviously waited through probably most of the show. <laughs> and it's probably hot in the tank as well. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, he's, he, he did quite a few favours. Once I, um, once I was really crook and I couldn't play a show in Adelaide and Hesse was down there. Hesse came and actually played the show, poor guy. And, um, um, you know, Crowdies play more of a pop show and um, Paul was a fantastic drummer. So it was probably a bit unfair to, you know, make him play two hours with a kind of intensity. Yeah. But I went and saw him the next morning at the at the hotel in Adelaide and uh, knocked on his door and, and he was sitting on the bed and he had the whole bed was covered with bandages. <laughs> he, was, he was taping up all the fingers on both hands that were, he'd lost skin, actually. Such was his commitment to finishing that show. So what an amazing guy. That's amazing. And, and, and deep down you were like, yeah, that's what it takes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of schadenfreude. That's <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. So you've done some big gigs. I mentioned Exxon before and, of course, you know, Goat Island I think is one of the most iconic moments, um, you know, oils on the water. And, and even Armistice Day, one of the most recent ones um, at the Domain. Um, what is the all-time greatest gig in your head? After oh, all these years. Oh, God. Um, oh, so many, Becca. Yeah. Uh, it's a real tough one because it's a lot of years of touring and often, uh, you know, touring up and down the pubs as well and, and it's hard to narrow it down. But Midnight Oil spent quite a lot of time in Europe and we've got strong audiences in Germany, France, Holland, Sweden, Switzerland, Belgium, blah, blah, blah. We hardly ever went to the East. But on that tour, uh, we went to... Um, a few years back, we went to a place called Ostrava, which is in the Czech Republic, and it's way over near the Polish border. And we played to an audience that I think many of them had never seen the band, they'd heard about the band, they might have got hold of our albums. And um, and the gig was actually in a decommissioned old uh, industrial plant, steel steelworks, but it was all rusting and it actually looks like a midnight oil film clip. It was perfect, you know. Um, and um, and we were on at dusk, and the perfect spot just just at sundown. And uh, we only had an hour, like you know, that's all you ever get on a European festival show. There's a bit of footage of it somewhere, but it's it's one of those nights where it was just quite a moment. It was a moment of epiphany for the band to play after all these years to an Eastern Europe audience, Eastern European audience, and the people that have been waiting for so many years, decades even, for us to actually make the journey that far east. And um, and I remember coming off stage and Pete and I looking at each other going, yeah, that was something. And so that that's one that comes to mind. But there's there's others, you know, there's the moment of the time that we first managed to play in South Africa at the end of apartheid. Oh, wow, yeah. Because our albums, we'd, we'd actually boycotted South Africa and and um, restricted the sale of our albums during the apartheid period in South Africa. But um, I think apartheid ended uh, 93, 94 there, and we went. Uh, but prior to that, we'd been invited, but you had to go and play at Sun City or one of those terrible places, and we refused to do that. So we, by the time we got there, there was this amazing spirit in the air in South Africa, and we played three shows. We played in... Uh, Durban, Cape Town and Johannesburg. And the Johannesburg show was particularly amazing because um, the, the organisers had bust in a whole lot of folks from the townships, from Soweto and elsewhere. And so it was a huge uh, mixed audience that 
um, knew all the songs, sang a lot better than us, i got to add. You know, amazing. <laughs> you know, wow. I mean, South, Afri- South Africans can sing. Yeah, yeah. Once again, it's captured on film. It's out there somewhere. But um, we had Charlie McMahon on Didgeridoo there, and uh, he used to have this thing where he'd send firecrackers from the edge of his didgeridoo into the crowd. <laughs> no way. Uh, but the South, Af- South African cops thought that someone was shooting at the stage, so they all drew, and so we thought, oh, well, great, we're going to be shot. But... Um, uh, Incredible lineup. Um, you remember Johnny Clegg? He's no longer with us, but incredible South African performer and dancer. He was on the bill, uh, as was Sting. So it was an incredible oh, afternoon wow. of music, and and uh, so that that's another one which you know really was something. So you know you got some incredible uh, local acts on on your tour this time around. You know supporting, and one thing that's one thing you always done is is lift up those uh, very deserving young artists, um, but. Is there still someone you want to have on the bill with you that you can't quite get? Is, is there someone even internationally that you've, you'd love to perform with? I mean, like Sting? Yeah, yeah, it'd be great to have Springsteen and the E Street Band support us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you're a fan, you know. <laughs> yeah, unlikely. I met um, drummer Max Weinberg from the E Street Band on the, on the last Springsteen tour and um, – they're all, and I met them all as such lovely people, apart from being great musicians. I mean, they've been around for longer than us even and, um, you know, they've done everything and and they're very strong politically, as you know. They're on the side of the angels and Max was so accommodating. He, he In the sound check, he said, come and play the drum, my drums. And I went up and played his beautiful DW drum kit up there and sits way up high above the band and... So, yeah, they can support us anytime, but I'm more likely we would support them, I would say. Well, I've got regrets too. I, I went to Little Stevens gig, uh, I don't know, like three years ago, and, and, yeah. and I didn't know Pete was coming up towards the end of the show, and, and it, was, it was one of those days, I think I just had a you know, long day, and, I, and I, I got to about three quarters of the way through the gig, and I went, you know what, I better call it the night. I've got to go home. And I log on the next morning and find out that, that Pete has taken the stage with little Stephen on stage. It would have been just amazing. And so they must have done Sun City, which of course little little Stephen produced all those years ago as an anti-apartheid anthem. Yeah, right. It featured in the film clip and the song. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, there you go. So that would have been, I imagine that's the song they would have done. Now, um, do you feel like this is the perfect way to wrap up the band as as we know it? I mean, especially with the loss of Bones, which obviously came as a shock for all of us. Yeah, we miss we miss Bones terribly um, as a person, as a musician, and as an incredible vocalist, singer. In many ways, this album and tour is dedicated, well, it's dedicated to Bonesy. It's the last album he played on yeah. before we lost him. And I think that he would appreciate the fact that we're going out finally to play these songs that he, he recorded with us um, two years ago, going out and playing them live. So it's a... It's a tribute to him in a way, this tour. Um, but we also, um, I guess we, we never want to be one of those bands that, that just sort of just kept on playing the old material, the hits, you know, we know that it works and we know everyone's waiting for those songs. And don't get me wrong, we will be playing a lot of back catalogue and well-known songs, but we also didn't want to be a band that went out without new material. You know, we wanted to... Be re- we want to be still tough and relevant. And the songs, I think, are, are and I think people will really enjoy the new album. Um, there are a few slower songs, but even the slow, slower songs are very tightly wound. They're, they're a lot full of tension and anger, and uh, we're not going softly into the night, that's for sure. Yeah, there, there was um, 
a moment on the the Hunters gig. Um, it was it was it is Lucky Country that the, the one where he does the the, the vocal solo um, sort of yes. as, as the outro. Right? One country, yeah. One one country, and 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 when that came on, um, I, I shed a tear because I, I think the you know that, that that's the moment um, of a of of me saying goodbye to him in the crowd, and um, you know I. I'm 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 really glad you guys are, you know, using this this tour as, as a goodbye to him, but also a goodbye to the the fans as well. They've been there since the the Antler at Narrabeen, and uh, uh, you know I think everyone's very excited. Impossible to place replace Bonesy, but we have Liz and Leah um, doing all of Bonesy's difficult harmonies. I used to have Bonesy really loud in my wedge, and I would always tune to him because every night he would hit the note right on without fail. <laughs> Never out of tune, yeah. you know. It's fantastic, and they do the same. So we, we're um, we're covering that area because apart from being, um, you know, a loud guitar band, we're also we've also got all these strong harmonies and things that we have in our music. Yeah, you do, and you can't, yeah. and you can't do without those. I, I wanted to ask you about the Antler at Narrabeen right at the beginning of the band. Um, and if you go to any Oils fan, that's the time they always talk about. You know, the sweaty beer garden. Uh, the condensation dripping from the roof. What what made that era so special? Uh, that was the age of the sticky car- carpet cowboys. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, there just didn't seem to be any regulations back then. I mean, people would have licences for venues and then they'd put in ten times the number. No one seemed to worry too much, you know. Um, it was quite gladiatorial. Uh, there's a good book by Mark Seymour, 13 Time Theory, he talks about it, how... You know, the bands of that era, the late 70s and 80s, had to get bigger and bigger PAs because as the pub crowds got bigger and bigger, it was a question of who would win and, you know, the Christians or the Lions. And um, so we ended up carting around these huge PAs and got really loud. But we were on the same circuit. And I must say it was it was a fantastic circuit to be on, that late 70s, early 80s circuit, along with bands like uh, Rose Tattoo and... Cold Chisel, The Angels, uh, My Sex, Dragon, Mentals, um, Jimmy and the Boys. There was this, and, you know, we would never see, as musicians, we would never see all those musicians until years later because we were always in a different port at a different time, you know. Would have, yeah, of course. But that's all that anyone ever, I mean, punters, that was before dance music, that's before fire and noise regulations closed all these amazing beer barns down. And that's where all these bands learned to play, you know, in the wake of Akadaka, who were kind of our heroes starting out, you know, and uh, that's why bands, when, like ourselves, when we finally did go overseas, we were so kind of road tough and put on these really strong live shows. Well, look, it's, it's been a journey and, and people use that term a lot, but it really has been. Uh, and uh, we're very excited to have the album out, uh, the 13th and final album, Resist, from uh, Midnight Or Rob Hurst, thanks so much for your time and I can't wait to catch up again soon. Yeah, same, Becco. Thanks for the interview, mate. Talk soon. One of the greatest drummers in Aussie music history. I'm going to say it. Rob Hurst from Midnight Oil. Wrapping up their world tour, their farewell tour in Sydney. A lot of very excited Midnight Oil fans ready for that. It's The Rider with Becca. We'll catch you back next week.